0: And now Alex will preach the sermon. Sorry, I'm only joking. <laughs> but sorry the message didn't get through. <laughs> I wonder if you remember Monty Python's film in 1979, The Life of Brian. Some Christians were upset by it. But, put that to one side, it was a humorous satire of organised religion. And the lesson too, not to take ourselves too seriously... And there's a scene near the beginning of the film that's supposed to be the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is preaching, and people are totally absorbed in what he's saying, and they're silent. But then the camera moves away to the edge of the crowd, away from the Lord, where a group of people, including one Brian, are desperately trying to hear what Jesus is saying. Jesus' statement, blessed are the peacemakers, is misheard for the now infamous blessed are the (laughs) cheesemakers. And the audience is bemused, and some give up, straining to hear, and they end up wandering off with a misunderstanding of what they've heard. Well, that for me is a reminder that Jesus' followers don't always hear well. It's not that God mumbles or Christ isn't clear, but often it's that we don't draw close enough to listen well. And in any good and healthy relationship, listening well is really important. You need to keep close to the ones you love. And try and listen carefully and want to understand and to be understood too. And for parents, with Casey, one of the things I would encourage you to do is to take time to listen to your children so that they too listen to you. And our Old Testament lesson begins with Micah saying, I call you to listen. Listen. There's a call to listen. Verse 1, listen to what the Lord says. And in our gospel lesson, Jesus went up the mountain and he sat down. It was a sign that he was about to teach and people were to listen to him. The disciples were there. Large crowds had gathered to listen to his message, to digest his words of renewal and hope. But the trouble is, people are generally not good at deepening relationships and relationship, our relationship with the Lord. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But often, let's be honest about it, we're not hungry enough for God's word. We're selective too in our hearing. We're preoccupied with what we want to do, our life's agenda, what we think is best And we are so busy these days, too busy to just ponder and get our priorities right. And it's nothing new. It's an age-old problem. It's part of our selfishness, our stubborn, independent, fallen humanity. And we see this pattern in the Bible. God raises up a prophet to speak to the people and the people listen and they hear and they say this is wonderful and then they begin to stop listening and do their own thing and so God has to raise up another prophet and call them to account and they begin to listen but they don't hear well and we see this cycle going on in the Bible of people being called but not listening well and then Jesus comes. The word became flesh. God brings the message himself. And people listen and the crowds come. But they don't listen well. They don't get it. They half get it. Cheesemakers rather than peacemakers. And that's why Micah here and Jesus as well calls us today to listen. And so often in our faith, we're very good at talking at God, bombarding God with our prayers, telling him what we think about his world and what's going on in the world, bombarding him with prayer requests and pleas for mercy because we've fouled up again, cries for help because we've just run out of our own resources. But too often it's as though we want to change God rather than God... Changing us. Let's be honest. How often are we quiet before a holy God and really listen? And before we pray anything and say, Lord, speak to me. The cheesemakers are not blessed, but rather those who hit pause, open their ears and their hearts, and really listen. So first of all, there's a call to listen. But the second thing in these passages that struck me very clearly is there's a call to remember. Micah uses language that's reminiscent of a law court hearing. You might want to have that uh, reading in front of you as I'm talking. He makes an accusation against God's unfaithful people. And he declares that accusation before witnesses. Actually, it's the steadfast mountains that are his witness. And the prophet reminds Israel of God's unfailing blessings towards them. He calls them to remember those past blessings and their experience throughout Israel's history. And Micah was prophesying at a turbulent time at the end of the 80s century BC. The prophet saw that disaster was looming for the people of God, both the northern kingdom of Israel and its capital Samaria because of the advances of the Assyrians, and the southern kingdom of Judah due to the threat of the Babylonians. And in short, Micah was making it clear who was to blame for this, pointing out that Trouble was surely coming their way and the people were bringing it on themselves. Micah believed that this was God's judgment on the people for their way of behaving, especially those who were rich and in authority, who were exploiting people. God's holiness was outraged because of the actions of the people of God, and they needed to change. So Micah voices what he believes is God's case against his own people. God saying, what have I done to you for you to abandon me? How have I burdened you? And then he says, let me give you some examples of what I've done for you. Just a few. I set you free from slavery. I sent you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. I protected you from the king of Moab, Balak. He put a blessing instead of a curse in Balaam's mouth. And he'd seen them safely across the Jordan from Shittim to Gilgal. These were all the saving acts of their faithful God. But where was their faithfulness in return? I wonder if we, as a church, do enough remembering. Remembering what God has done for us in the past. God's people of old and Christ's church today depend not merely on philosophy or our theology alone, but on the experiences, our personal experiences, of the saving acts of our God. What about you as an individual? Do you take time to remember and give thanks for what has happened in the past? Or are you like me, that you have these great times of blessing of the Lord where he's really helped you and so quickly we forget? I think rehearsing and remembering God's blessings are so important. Charlie picked this up, I didn't know he was going to say that, where he said about we need to remember what God has done for Casey. Whenever we have a holy communion service, we are rehearsing, we are remembering what Jesus did in the upper room. At baptism, we're remembering how Jesus has saved us, died, and rise for us, risen for us, and given us new life. And reading the Bible and Christian autobiographies and biographies, hearing testimonies of what Christ is doing in the lives of individuals through house groups and in church, all these things as we rehearse them keep us close to God and remembering what he's done throughout the generations. They inspire us to be faithful. So I'm glad Patrick started off the service telling us what God is doing in another part of the globe. We need to hear, we need to remember We also need to be thankful for the people that God has sent us. Here we had Moses, Aaron and Miriam listed. Are we really thankful for those that God has sent to lead us? Those in our own experience. I'm not just talking about church ministers, although we love to criticise those who lead us in church or other officers of the church, or our work colleagues, or national and international leaders. But how often do we give thanks that they're there to lead us and really pray for them? Not just, oh, I wish they get that right, but pray for them. It's a biblical thing to do. Could it be that we get the leaders we deserve? So we're your fault. <laughs> If you pray for your leaders blessing will come potential blessing if they're listening too yes we're saved by grace through faith alone but the beatitudes make it clear that Christians are blessed if if we live faithfully to the sermon on the mount if we live to the way of Christ and when we are blessed by living that way, we need to tell one another about that blessing so that actually it exhorts us to live the way of Christ. Micah reminded the people of God what God had done for them in the past. I urge you today, take time to remember how God has blessed you when you've been faithful and let it challenge you to listen Remember and remain faithful. So there's a call to listen, there's a call to remember, and the last thing is this there is a call to respond. Micah calls the people of Israel to return to God and to remain a faithful people despite the ongoing sufferings that he says is surely coming their way. Ultimately, he says, there's hope of change and restoration. I wonder if we sometimes give up on that great hope that one day God's kingdom will come. So therefore we give up. We don't pay attention to our lives because we think, what difference will it make? Look at what, uh, how others are behaving. Do we at Methodist Central Hall Westminster want to offer acceptable worship to our God? We may have failed in the past. But what is it that the Lord requires from us today as his people? Well, I'm not a linguist, and someone will probably correct me afterwards, but I believe in the Hebrew language, there are two different words, both translated as require in the English. In Deuteronomy, the word is more like inquire. In other words, what does the Lord ask of you? But here, in Micah, the word require is much more of a command what does the lord demand of the people of israel and what does the lord demand of us well in micah's day it would uh, be seen in terms of adhering to the uh, sacrificial system that's what they thought They they ought to be doing. And hence the mention of loads of burnt offerings, an abundance of atoning sacrifices. Micah even offering his firstborn, because it was felt that if we did all these things, it would change God, an angry God who uh, wanted us to be judged. If we did these things, it would change him. But Micah's talking about, no, no, you've got it the wrong way around. You've got to be changed. That's not the order of the day. Something else is demanded. God doesn't need changing to become more merciful. He wants you to receive his mercy and to change, to repent. Our vice president at the Methodist Conference, Rachel Lampire, picked this up in her address at the Methodist Conference, and she used the words of another 8th century prophet, Amos, and she read the message version, and it is so relevant to us today, so I make no apology for repeating that version. I can't stand your religious meetings, says God. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image-making, I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. And Rachel made that the main theme of her uh, uh, sermon to the Methodist people. God, yes, wants us to worship him, but actually it's got to change us. God demands that our lives are worthy of him, a sacrifice of love and praise, exactly what we see in Jesus. It's not an option. It's what's required. This year's president of the Methodist Conference, the Reverend Roger Walton and our vice president spoke passionately at conference, and they gave out some wristbands, and I'm going to give out some a little later. The theme for their presidential year is holiness and justice, and they're calling the Methodist people to grow in holiness together and to act justly together. And Micah 6, verse 8, the end of our Old Testament reading, is actually their text for the year. I'm going to give out these wristbands later to remind us. First of all, to act justly. As in the days of Micah, we live in day, days of extreme contrasts between the wealth of the rich and the powerful elite in the world, and those who are the dependent, poor, and dis dispossessed. There's also corruption and immorality in our world and oppressive behavior. And there's the religious uh, observance of some extremists and some who are misguided in their religion that seems to have lost all sense of heart and integrity to the message. People have lost their way. Cheesemakers again. Well, God demands justice because he's a just God. Decision-making and treating people justly too. So just decision-making and treating people in just ways. And it's not an option for us. We often think the problem is elsewhere. Oh, it's in the leadership of the world. Actually, it lies with us as well. How are we honest and fair in our dealings and seeking to be righteous, holy people? Do we believe the weak should be helped and delivered as we've been helped ourselves? Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Have we got a spirit of grace and generosity towards justice at our heart? Martin Luther King Jr. once said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So our little acts of injustice affect the whole. We're called to act justly. Very quickly, we're called to love mercy, to demonstrate the steadfast kindness of God towards others remembering the incomparable, gracious, forgiving God we worship and to live as he wants us to live. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. And Pope Francis put it succinctly this way, a little bit of mercy makes the world less cold and more just. And thirdly, we're to walk humbly with God. And this doesn't just mean we're to be self effacing, although there is that. It's walking circumspectly before God, warily and watchfully, ensuring that we are conforming to God's will, that we have the right attitudes, as Jesus was imparting in his Sermon on the Mount, that though we're walking the way of the Beatitudes rather than our own way, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It was the pastor and evangelist, F.B. Mayer, who said, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above the other, and the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we could reach them. I now find that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath the other, and that is not a question of growing taller but stooping lower. We see that spirit in the Beatitudes. Jesus teaching us to be less independent and more dependent on his grace and his way. He offers us the values. He wants us to allow the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount to permeate our very being so that it shapes us. And he wants us to be his just, merciful, humble people. We're going to be looking at the Beatitudes during Lent. And I hope to take this further as as we do so, Keena, myself and Gordon. But both Micah and Jesus offer us assurance of something. The assurance of God's blessing, even when the tough things happen and suffering comes and hardship comes. If we turn to the Lord, listen, remember, and respond. And when we're looking at our leaders and we're trying to make decisions about what is right, we should hold up world leaders and our politicians and those who lead us in the church and say, do I see these values in the way they are behaving? Is there justice, mercy, and is there humility? If not, we need to pray that they will listen, remember, and respond. This wristband that we're going to give out at the end of the service, as during our last hymn, I would like you to wear it for a while, even though you might not like the colour. And every time you see it, to pause and ask yourself, Am I walking this way? Am I praying that our leaders are walking this way? Because if you walk the walk, you will be blessed. And if you walk the walk, others will be blessed too. Amen.